For three weeks in a row, we've been talking about one topic here at Broadway Church. We've been talking about the topic of depression. Now, I'm sure for some of you, that in itself is depressing. You would prefer that we just move on. But for many of you, as evidenced by the responses that we've received from within our congregation and even from across the country, talking about depression has not been life-draining, it's actually been life-giving. Well, today is the third and final installment in our Dark Days sermon series. Do only weak, wimpy, and worldly people battle depression? Or can you live in the light and still battle dark days? Well, two weeks ago, we learned that some of the greatest biblical giants, including Jesus himself, had bouts with depression. And one of those spiritual giants we looked at was a man named the prophet Elijah. Elijah lived about 900 years before Jesus, and Elijah had been sent by God to the people of Israel, particularly in northern Israel, to battle against King Ahab and his cruel, evil wife, Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel had allowed this false God named Baal into the land, and these idols to Baal were everywhere, and there were prophets of Baal all over the place. And Elijah's ministry really culminated in the mountaintop of Mount Carmel where Elijah battled and defeated the 850 prophets of Baal. Now, this elicited Jezebel's wrath. Her wrath was poured out upon Elijah, and using modern vernacular, she put a contract out on Elijah's life. She threatened to have him killed. Well, when we follow the events, on the heels of Elijah's greatest triumph, he went into a pit of depression. Well, why do we think that? What were the signs of depression in Elijah's life? Well, when we read the biblical account, four classic symptoms associated with depression jump out at us. I've listed these four classic symptoms on your outline today. First of all, number one is anxiety and fear. The Bible says in 1 Kings 19 that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, Elijah's actions stirred up his enemies and Elijah's enemies stirred up his anxiety and his fear. And his anxiety and fear controlled him to the point that it affected his decisions and his actions. A second classic symptom we see in Elijah's life is suicidal thoughts. The Bible says in verse 4, He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Elijah's depression had drained his will to live to the point that he welcomed and even desired death. He had reached the point of absolute hopelessness. A third symptom we see in Elijah's life is intense fatigue. It says in verse 5, And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Now listen, we all feel fatigued at times. We all feel a bit run down every now and then. But if you read this in its full context, Elijah is more than just tired. It appears that Elijah has reached the point of total exhaustion. The fourth uh, symptom that we see in Elijah's life is feelings of rejection. Verse 10 says this. This is Elijah talking. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. When Elijah looked around, he felt entirely alone. He felt abandoned by everyone. 
He felt like everyone was out to get him. He even seemed to think that God had abandoned him. Elijah was in an emotional pit. Elijah was at the midnight hour of his darkest day. So how did God respond to depression in Elijah's life? And what can we learn from God's response? That's what we're going to focus upon for the next 20 minutes or so. Using Elijah's experience, we're going to glean some principles that we can apply to our own experience. So let's get right to it. As we pick up Elijah's story, he has just come off the greatest victory of his life. He has defeated 850 false prophets on the uh, top of a mountain. But he has stirred up the wrath of Jezebel, the evil queen. And Jezebel vowed to kill Elijah. So in fear, he runs for his life. Now eventually, he finds himself all alone deep in the desert. Exhausted, he collapses under a tree and he asks God to kill him. And that's where God steps in and begins the healing journey. We pick it up in verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 19. You can read it with me on the screen. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. So what is the first thing that God did to lead Elijah out of the pit of depression? The first thing God did is God strengthened Elijah's body. He strengthened Elijah's body. Now hear this. As a human being, you are a soul-body composite. You are a non-physical soul that lives in and through a physical body. Now think very carefully about that reality. Because when it comes to our experience with depression, this is a crucial piece of information. You are a non-physical soul that lives in and through a physical body. While on this earth, your soul and your body are intrinsically tied together. Now, why is it important to recognize this reality? It's important for two reasons. First of all, because your soul affects your body. Now, everyone who's watching right now, I want you to do something. Everybody who's watching right now, I want you to move your hand, okay? Move your hand. Now, your soul made that decision. By the way, even those of you who refused to move your hand, that was your soul that was doing that as well. It was your soul that refused to act. Your soul, via your brain, interacted with your body. Using your brain, your soul directed your body to move or to not move. Your soul affects your body. But it also works the other way around. Your body affects your soul. When your body is weak, your soul can become weak. When your body is weary, your soul can become weary. When your body becomes run down, your soul feels the impact. So while on this earth, your soul and your body are intrinsically tied together. With this awareness of the unity of the soul and the body, look again at the first thing God addresses when dealing with Elijah's depression. Twice, God tells Elijah to get up and to eat. 
God even seems to put Elijah on a 40-day exercise program. God strengthened Elijah's body. And as your outline says, since God began addressing Elijah's depression by addressing the physical realm, we would be wise to do the same. Follow the pathway that God recommended to Elijah. Pay attention to what's happening in your body. Pay attention to your diet. Pay attention to your exercise. Getting a thorough physical examination would be a great place to begin. Well, that's where God began, but God wasn't finished yet. Keep reading in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, is the place where God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. It's also the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It's the place where, where, where a Hebrew mind thought of when you thought of meeting with God. To the Hebrew mind in Elijah's day, it's the place where you went to meet with God. It was the mountain of God. In other words, the next thing that God did to address Elijah's depression was this. God sent Elijah to church. God sent Elijah to church. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the mountain of God. Now, by sending him to the mountain of God, God seems to be saying, Elijah, your body was in desperate need of physical restoration, but your soul is in desperate need of an experience with the eternal. Elijah, one of the reasons why you are so overwhelmed is you have lost perspective in life. And listen, the best place to gain a new perspective and to get the big picture is on the top of a mountain, isn't it? We know that here in Vancouver, heading to the top of a mountain and you can see for miles and miles, you get a whole big perspective of the world around you. Well, it's like God was saying, Elijah, I am sending you to the mountain of God. You have lost your grasp of the big picture. Elijah, you need to get to church. When we're depressed, all we can see is ourselves. All we can see is the tragedy and the hopelessness that's directly in front of our faces. It's difficult to see anything else. So we cocoon, we withdraw, we avoid gathering with others. We need to fight this temptation. We need to resist the impulse to hide from church, and instead we need to run to church. Why? God isn't more present in a church building than he is in my own home, you say? That's true. God is not more present in a church building, but God's people are. God's people are the church. God's people are the family of God. We're here to come alongside and encourage one another. In fact, it's a biblical command. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians 6.2, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, he says. Now, admittedly, this is more difficult to do during the season of COVID. But having said that, I want to address a misconception that some people have. Every now and then, I hear someone say that church is canceled during COVID. That is not true. Church is not canceled. Gatherings of hundreds of people are canceled, but church is not canceled. The work of the church is still going on. 
In fact, in many areas, the work of the church has intensified during this season. Some people wonder, so what do pastors do during COVID anyway? Listen, I get why people would ask that question. I remember as a little kid being taken to church by my parents and sitting in the pew and watching the pastor up on the stage. And I used to think to myself as a little kid, so what do you do all week? I mean, you, you talk for 15, 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, and then what do you do for the rest of the week? That must be some job. And people would wonder that all the more, I'm sure, now during this COVID time. Well, listen, as a child... I did not understand the role of the pastor, nor did I understand the role of the church. I needed to grow and mature in my understanding. Let me pause here for a second to clarify something. Just because large gatherings are not happening, that does not mean that ministry is not happening. Sermons and studies are still being prepared and presented every week. Worship services are still being prepared and presented every week. Just because they are being presented in front of cameras instead of in front of crowds does not mean that any less effort is being expended. In fact, often more effort is required because of the technical requirements. Youth and young adults are still gathering and studying God's Word. They're still being discipled and cared for in small groups, online, and in some cases in person. Pastoral counseling is still taking place. The Alpha course, the Marriage course, the Purest Love Imaginal course have all been up and running and going for weeks, some of those courses being taught three times a week. People are still getting saved. People are still getting baptized. Babies are still being dedicated. Couples are still getting married and requiring premarital counseling. People are still having to spend time in the hospital and, and requiring visits in the hospital. Sadly, people are still passing away. Funerals are still taking place. Loved ones are still in need of compassion and care. And on top of all of this, hundreds more people are, than ever before are now looking to us at Broadway Church for food. Our workload in this area has not merely doubled. It's not merely tripled. It's not merely quadrupled. Our workload in this area has actually increased by nine times. Nine times, folks. I mean, ponder that. The amount of people we serve has multiplied by nine times in the last few months. And with the added COVID protocols, the work required to serve these many people is more complex and more involved than ever before. Now, I could go on, but what I'm trying to say is this. The church is still being the church. If you tend to think that church is canceled, that's likely a sign that you have a false understanding of what the church does and what the church is all about. Your perspective is a bit off. And that was Elijah's problem. When Elijah was depressed, God recognized that Elijah needed a fresh perspective. He needed a fresh experience of God's kingdom. So God sent Elijah to the mountain of God. God sent Elijah to church. When you are in the pit of depression, you would be wise to do the same. When the dark days come crashing in on your life, don't hide from the church, run to the church. So what does that mean? I mean, what does that look like, practically speaking? Well, as your outline says, immerse yourself 
in the truth of God's word, the power of God's spirit, and the presence of God's people. I'm going to say that again. It means immerse yourself in the truth of God's word, in the power of God's spirit, and in the presence of God's people. You see, that's what the church of God's all about. It's about the, the word of God, of the presence of God, the spirit of God. The spirit of God, he works through the scripture. He works through interaction with his people. Allow the spirit of God to impart power and, and peace and provision into your life through interacting with his word, interacting with his presence, interacting with his people whenever you can. It's how your perspective is changed it's how your soul gets charged. All right. What can we do when we find ourselves in a pit of depression? We can follow the pathway that God set out for Elijah. Begin by addressing the physical realm. Pay attention to your body. Continue by addressing the eternal realm. Pay attention to your soul. And that brings us to the third area that God addressed in Elijah's life, the mental realm. As your outline says, God challenged Elijah's thinking. Scripture puts it this way. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, God's making Elijah think here. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, and here's how I imagine Elijah whiny, uh, with his whiny voice. Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now, let's pause here for a moment. No wonder Elijah was depressed. Apparently, he was the only one in the whole world doing things right, and everyone else was doing everything wrong. That would depress anyone, wouldn't it? So how did God respond to Elijah's thinking? Let's keep reading. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What's going on here? What's going on is this. God is challenging Elijah's thinking. Twice God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And twice Elijah responds by reciting the identical script. He repeats the exact same thing word for word. Elijah has been telling himself a story for a long time. So long that he has his lines memorized. He has obviously been playing this over and over in a loop in his mind. 
Elijah's well-rehearsed reply reveals where his thinking has gone wrong. Elijah thought that he was the only one doing anything. It appears he even thought that God was slacking off. So God corrects Elijah's thinking. Through a series of object lessons, God shows Elijah that he's been believing a lie. God sends some wind, an earthquake, a fire. And with this creative visual demonstration, God was essentially saying, Elijah, I am not running short when it comes to power. I can level this mountain if I want to. I can turn it into a pile of dust if I so desire. The whole realm of nature is at my disposal, Elijah. Now, if I can do that to this mountain, imagine what I can do to Jezebel. You are believing lies. I have not abandoned you. Oh, and by the way, you're not alone either. I mean, keep reading. The Lord said to Elijah, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God was saying, snap out of it, Elijah. Stop reciting lies and start receiving truth. Can you relate to Elijah? When you're battling depression, have you ever found yourself thinking things that are not true? As your outline says, since we live according to what we think, we would be wise to pay very close attention to what we're thinking. I'm going to say that again. Since we live according to what we think, we would be very wise to pay close attention to what we are thinking. When we get depressed, we often need someone to come alongside us, to challenge our thinking, to assist us in dissecting what's going on in our minds. Maybe a trusted friend, a professional counselor, maybe a pastor. That's what God did for Elijah. God challenged his thinking. I mean, our lives are built upon what we think. So if the foundation of our thinking is based upon wrong information, the results can be devastating. False ideas, false beliefs, especially false ideas and false beliefs about God, can put us in bondage. So when battling depression, you would be wise to look closely at what's going on in your mind. Your thoughts may not be as accurate as they feel. So challenge your thinking. It's a key step on the pathway out of the pit of depression. All right. What did God do to help Elijah during his dark days? We've seen so far that first God strengthened Elijah's body. He addressed the physical realm. After that, God sent Elijah to church. He addressed the realm of the soul. Then God challenged Elijah's thinking. He addressed the mental realm. And that brings us to the fourth and final area that God touched upon when he addressed Elijah's battle with depression. God assigned Elijah a task. He assigned Elijah a task. It's as though God said, all right, Elijah, your body has been replenished. Your soul has been topped up. We've debunked a lot of the lies in your mind. Now it's time for you to get moving. It's time for you to get back to work. I mean, look at verses 15 to, 8 to 16 in 1 Kings 19. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Okay, and then anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. 
Oh, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mahola to succeed you as prophet. In other words, God said, all right, Elijah, time to get busy. I've got more things for you to do. Dr. Carl Menninger, the founder of the famous Menninger Clinic, was legendary in the world of mental health. One day, after presenting a lecture, someone in the crowd asked him this question. Dr. Menninger, what advice would you give to someone who feels a nervous breakdown coming on? Well, most people thought he would say, go see a psychiatrist immediately, but he didn't say that. Much to everyone's astonishment, Dr. Menninger said this. He said, here's what I'd tell them to do. I would tell them, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find somebody in need, and help that person. Don't just focus upon yourself. Instead, get focused in the lives and get involved in the lives of others. Dr. Menninger was recommending what God himself had recommended thousands of years earlier. When it comes to dealing with the dark days of depression, a key to moving forward is to get moving. A key to moving forward is to get moving. Get active. Live beyond yourself. Find a healthy and productive task and focus upon accomplishing that task. You can make yourself better by making the world around you better. Now, by the way, you should notice something. This is the fourth of, uh, of four steps. This is what God recommended after Elijah had been sufficiently strengthened physically, spiritually, and mentally. So let's conclude. Over the last three weeks, we've learned a lot about this subject of depression. The first week, we learned that godly people can have dark days. We learned that God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Last week, we heard up close and personal from someone who has walked and continues to walk this challenging journey. Today, through studying God's interaction with the prophet Elijah during his battle with depression, we've learned some practical principles that we can all apply to our own lives. We've learned that we would be wise to do four things when we find ourselves experiencing dark days. We should actively address the physical realm. We should actively address the spiritual realm. We should actively address the mental realm, and we should actively address the realm of the world around us. And that brings us to today's big idea when we sum up the teaching. Here it is. Depression is not a place that we consciously choose to enter. Depression is a place that we must consciously choose to exit. While depression is not a place that we consciously choose to enter, Depression is a place that we must consciously choose to exit. You see, there are things that we can and we must do if we are to exit the pit of depression. There is a pathway out of that pit, but it's a pathway that we must choose to take. There are decisions that we must choose to make. While depression is not a place that we would consciously choose to enter, Depression is a place that we must consciously choose to exit. We have a role to play as we walk the pathway out of depression, out of the darkness. God will certainly meet us. He'll equip us. He'll empower us. He'll direct us on that journey. 
but there are choices we must make. There are steps we must take. Now, know that you will not make these choices and take these steps on your own. Know that the Spirit of God will be within you and the people of God will be beside you along the journey. So call out to Him, call out to others, and let the healing journey begin. Let's pray together as we conclude today. God, you know every heart, you know every life that's watching and listening right now. You are with us right now by your Spirit. You are present everywhere as you demonstrated to Elijah on that mountaintop. Your power is overflowing. Your power and strength is in abundance. You don't lack the ability to do anything that you desire to do. And you desire that none would perish, that everyone would come to eternal life. And so I pray that your eternal life and your power and peace would flow in and through and to the heart and mind of everyone watching and listening today. I pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done as you meet each of us at our place of need. Speak power, speak peace, even speak joy into every situation, no matter the circumstances we are feeling right now. And for those who are watching or listening and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you've not yet taken that step of deciding to make Christ the leader and forgiver, the Lord and Savior of your life, right now I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision. Pray with me right now. God, I acknowledge that I have been rebellious. I acknowledge that I have not lived the life that you designed for me to live. I have done what the Bible calls sinned. And so I confess, I admit my sin, and I accept the gift that you have purchased on my behalf through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I confess, admit my sin. I accept your gift of cleansing and forgiveness. And I make you the leader, the Lord, the Savior, the forgiver of my life from this moment on. Fill me with your spirit. Change me from the inside out. And God, would you give me the courage to act on this, maybe even right now, but before my head hits the pillow tonight, give me the courage to tell somebody, a, a follower of Christ that I've known in my life, to share with them this decision that I've made and help me to take the next step on my journey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, on the screen right now, there's a number that you can text and someone will help you take the next step. Now, we're not trying to trick you. You're not joining Broadway Church by texting that number, but there'll be someone on the other end of that uh, line to, to help you, and to encourage you, to pray with you, and to, to give you some information on taking the next step in your journey. God bless you, folks. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for joining with us in this series, Dark Days. And I pray the presence and power of God will be very real in your life, no matter your circumstances. God bless you.